Well, hey, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship. Just to appreciate that so much. And uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome here. It's so good to be with you and to worship the Lord with you this morning. So, um, and if you are a guest with us, a special welcome to you guys as well. We're so glad that you're here. And we have a card that's in the uh, seat rack in front of you if you want to fill this out and give it to us. That way we know that you were here and know how we can pray for you or, or serve you in some other way. You can uh, bring that to one of the kiosks out here in the foyer or in the courtyard, and we'll also give you a gift as well. So uh, we'd love to meet you and answer any questions you have. I'll be out in the courtyard. Eric will be out there, um, and uh, we'd love to meet you afterwards as well. Um, if you are newer with us, we have something new called Starting Point. And that meets on the first Sunday of each month. It's a one-time kind of class during second service this hour um, where we just share with you a little bit about what our church is about. You can uh, ask questions and we can give you answers as well. You can meet some people on our staff as well. So that's the first Sunday of each month. So look for that in February as well. If you're new, we'd love to have you. And uh, if you are watching online, so glad that you are watching with us. And let's all uh, turn to Matthew chapter 25. So Matthew chapter 25, if you are using uh, one of the church uh, Bibles, it's on page 780, page 780. If you're newer to the Bible, Matthew is towards the back, uh, about midway towards the back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Matthew chapter 25, and uh, we are uh, kind of pausing on our verse-by-verse study through the book of Matthew. And ironically, though, I'm bringing us back to the book of Matthew um, while we do this short series in January, talking about our time, our treasures, and our talents, um, and, and our role in God's church and how to use those as a part of the church. We also have in this handout that was handed out this morning, um, something where you can write down notes if you'd like to as well that might help you um, stay focused. As Eric mentioned, it is, uh, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, the third Sunday of each uh, January, and it was just such a, a blessing to be able to de- dedicate these children to the Lord this morning and uh, go through that on Sanctity of Life Sunday. And um, it's just a good reminder to think about how um, so many people consider the unborn as um, not human, as sort of subhuman, what's in a mother's womb, that um, it's just uh, a tissue or, or just cells. Um, but the fact is, is that science and the Bible are in complete agreement about this, that it's a human being, uh, f- even from conception. Embryology in the Bible are very, very clear about that, that it's a human life, just as human than than you are and just as human that I am, um, though certainly less developed than we are. And we can praise and thank God that recently, you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned and that many states in our nation have come up with laws to restrict abortion that weren't there before. So we can praise and thank God for that. And we also need to pray for for our state because our state is very much uh, for abortion um, you know, to, to a great degree. Isn't that true? Sadly, very tragically. Um, and so we want to do whatever we can because the Lord cares for um, those who can't help themselves, right? Uh, abortion ends the life of an innocent human being. And he calls us to protect the lives of innocent human beings, right? And maybe some of you are here this morning and you've, you've had an abortion or you've encouraged someone to have an abortion. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ died to forgive you. Trust in him for that. Repent of your sin and you'll be totally forgiven. And there's healing. There's healing. There's restoration in that. We're not here to condemn you for that, but to encourage you to look to Jesus for hope. So would you pray with me this morning as we continue? 
Father, we're so grateful to you, Lord. Thank you that you gave us life. Thank you for the sanctity of life Sunday and the reminder of that. And uh, do use us, Lord, to protect lives. Thank you for ministries uh, like the Bakersfield Pregnancy Center. Bless that ministry. Lord, let many more women go and and see that what's in their womb is is genuinely a baby. And let let these women and, and their boyfriends hear the gospel and believe it and be saved and, and protect their, their innocent babies, Lord, within them. So we pray that as we uh, gather, just uh, as John prayed, Lord, let, you, let your word speak to our hearts and minds this morning. God, open our eyes to wonderful things in your word, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the first time I heard about Letourneau was because my brother-in-law was attending Letourneau University, and, and I was intrigued by the man, R.G. Letourneau, um, there's a lot we could say about him, but, but uh, he, he, was, uh, he grew up in a home with very little money, and he only had education through the eighth grade. Uh, yet, in, in the mid-1900s, he became one of the most influential and wealthy men in America. Um, some of his inventions were that he invented large earth-moving machinery, as well as offshore oil rigs. But at a low point of his life, he prayed. He called out to God and, and, and said, where have I gone wrong? Where have I gone wrong? And he began to realize that where he'd gone wrong is that he emphasized uh, material wealth, uh, material things rather than spiritual things. And he made up this principle before God. And he he said, this is now the new life principle that I'm going to live by. He said, make myself available to God as his servant first and as a businessman second. And he lived by that. A couple ways we see that, actually many ways we see that, but a couple I'm going to mention is that one one thing he did was he reverse tithed. He would give 90% of his income to missionaries, uh, to the poor, to the church, to to local outreaches in America, and then would live off of 10% of his income. He also started Letourneau University. I don't know where they're at today theologically, uh, but at the time his goal was to train up the next generation of excellent engineers inventing great things uh, for this world, but also to use their skills to point people to Jesus Christ, like he did, to use their skills in becoming servants of God first and businessmen second. So this morning, as we uh, kick off our new year and the short series that we've been doing, uh, Time, Talents, and Treasures in Our Role in God's Church, last week we looked at time. This week we're going to look at treasures. Uh, I mean, at, at, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully not this week, treasures, because I didn't prepare a sermon for that. But um, but talents this week and the next week, treasures, okay? So this morning, we're going to look at treasures, and really, Letourneau is an excellent example of this, um, looking at his talents and how he used them for God's purpose and glory. And as we look at Matthew chapter 25, it's very encouraging because we're going to see that God wants to use you and me, and he can use you and me for his purposes in this world. So first of all, before we look at it, just to set some of the context, whenever you're reading scripture, take a look at the context, the surrounding paragraphs and chapters to make sure you understand what that particular scripture is about. So in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, the disciples had asked Jesus, when are you coming back? And what, what is the sign? What are the signs going to be that you're coming back? And so in chapter 24 and 25, Jesus gives lots of details about his second coming. One thing that he repeats over and over is, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but what I'm going to tell you is be ready for when I come back. Be ready. And a key way for you to be ready is to be about my business every day until I come 
back. And that's really what this scripture is about this morning as we look at uh, the talents and our, our talents and abilities and gifts that God has given us is how can we use those for God's purposes while we're waiting for Christ's return? And he's going to hold us accountable to that when he returns. So the key question this morning that we're going to look at is, how do I make the most of the skills and abilities and things that God has given me for his purposes in this world? The way that my pastor growing up used to say it is, how can I make the biggest splash in this world for God in the short time I'm living here, right? So first of all, if you're following the notes that we find in Matthew chapter 25 is this. First of all, see Christ as the owner and you as the manager of his resources. And we see that beginning in verse 14. Take a look at verse 14 with me of chapter 25. Jesus says, For it, that is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Uh, to each according to his ability, then he went away. Um, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So what this parable is talking about is a wealthy businessman. He's going off on a trip, probably a business trip, um, and he entrusts at that time his money to three of his servants. And then he's going to come back uh, later, and hopefully they had gained interest and earned money on the money that he had given them. Now, this comes to, what is a talent? So um, in this parable, a talent doesn't refer to a coin or a bill, but it refers to a measurement. And you could have a talent of gold, uh, you could have a talent of silver, you could have a talent of bronze. Of course, gold would be more, worth more than bronze, for example. But, but how much is a talent? Well, actually, first of all, um, here it's talking about silver. We see that in verse 18, the word money literally means silver. This was a talent of silver. How much was just one talent of silver? If you equate it to today's money, it was about $600,000. So we're not talking about pocket change here. $600,000 for one talent. The man who had two talents, that's about a, a million point two dollars uh, in today's money. The one who had five talents, that's about $3 million in today's money. So this, this man was a very wealthy businessman, and he entrusted this money to his servants uh, to invest it as well. And it said that he was going to be gone for a little while, and then he was going to return. So um, how do these things relate to us and to Christ? Well, of course, the, the master refers to Christ. He is our master, our boss, our king. The servants refer to people who profess to be followers and believers in Christ, uh, like us, many of us. And then, of course, him leaving is Christ returning to heaven, and his return is when Jesus is going to come back the second time that we are looking forward to. And so a question is, how many of those talents belonged to the servants? None of them, thank you. None of them. They belonged to the master. Uh, but he entrusted them to the servants to do with it what he asked them to do. They didn't own any of it. However, if they worked hard and invested the money, um, then certainly not only would the, the boss benefit, they also would benefit from it as well. And notice that it's his still, his property, not theirs. If you look at verse 14, it says, For it, that's the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. It was his. So then the question is, well, what, what do these talents represent? Of course, it's money in this parable, but what do they represent in our lives? If you're following the notes, you'll see up on the screen. What they represent is, is Christ's resources, valuable resources given to us. Specifically, they represent our spiritual gifts, our natural abilities, as well as, I believe, our learned skills. So last week, uh, Chris Moore, when he preached, he asked a really good question that's been sticking with me all week. And maybe some of you remember him asking this question because he talked last week about the resource of time and using that for God. And he said, when you consider the time in the day, do you consider it as your time or as God's time? And immediately I thought, man, I really think it's my time. I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want anyone to waste my time. And I got to get this done in my time, right? But ultimately it's God's time. Well, let me ask the same questions about the spiritual gifts we have, the natural abilities, and the learned skills that we have. Do those belong to us or do they belong to God? Thank you. I would argue that they belong to God. And he's entrusted those to us as stewards, meaning that they aren't ours, but they, they are um, ours sort of on loan to do with what he has called us to do. So does God have the right, if he owns them, does God have the right uh, for us to, to tell us what to do with the resources he's given us? Does he have the right to do that? Absolutely, he does, he does. So this morning as we're considering how we can make the most of our abilities, the most of our, our skills and our gifts for God's kingdom and purposes, the first answer to that question is have that perspective that he's the owner. He owns these things that he's given us to manage. And we are to do what he has called us to do with them. So then, if these resources belong to God, why has he entrusted them to us? What's his purpose? What's his desired goal that he's given us these skills, these abilities, these gifts? What is he seeking in us and through us? If you're following the notes, number two, the answer is this. To use your spiritual gifts, your natural abilities and skills to make disciples and to grow Christ's church. And we see that beginning in verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Uh, he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of his master. And the second, service, second servant did the same, bringing the two, and he said the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. So the question is, with the talents that were given to those servants, what were they to do with them? The answer is to put them to work, to make more money, just like any good businessman would want his employees to do. And they understood that, except for the, the third servant, right? The first two understood it, and they did it. And that raises the question, what does this represent for us as believers in Jesus Christ? What are we to do with the skills and the abilities and the spiritual gifts that he's given us? And the answer is, as I've already said, to make disciples and to grow Christ's church. Now, there are many scriptures that talk about this. The most well-known one, of course, is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, 
that Jesus spoke just before he returned to heaven after he rose from the dead. Take a look at that with me up on the screen. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, that means to obey, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, what we, what you and I are to be about as believers in Jesus Christ until Christ returns is to seek uh, in every possible way to make more disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen to that. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Uh, first of all, we need to understand what it is to make disciples. Let me just break it down. Two main parts of what it means to make disciples. Number one is talking to people who don't know Christ and helping them to come to know Christ, to believe in Christ, to follow Christ, right? And then also, secondly, other believers helping them to grow stronger in their faith. Really, that's discipleship. It's as simple as that. Not easy, but that's what it is, right? So then how, how do we do it? How do we go about doing it in our busy lives? So, you know, um, this morning as we've been talking about sanctity of life and, and, uh, and, and children, a major way to make disciples, if you're young, is to get married. Marry a godly spouse, someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. And that's something that was told me before I got married. And let me tell you something, my wife and I have been married for 26 years, and I'm so glad I took that advice. I'm telling you, it is so, um, such a blessing, such a joy to be married to a godly woman. Um, not only because she's faithful to me, but because she works hard for our kids and loves our kids and points our kids to Christ. And so today, in, in, in today's day and age, marriage is looked at as that's kind of lame, kind of old school, you know, and having kids, they get in the way. Don't have kids. Just be single, do this. And this is not to say that God doesn't have a place for singles. Of course, singles are valuable to God. I'm just saying in our world today, we need to hear more that God is saying marriage is important. So if you're young and you want to make disciples, get married to a godly person and have children and train them up. Husband and wife, not just the wife, but husband and wife, train them up in the word of God. Let them see the example in your life of what it means to love others, to make disciples and to follow Jesus Christ. Also, how else can we make disciples? Invite them to church. You know, a big part of discipleship is being a part of the church. Invite people to church, people from your workplace, people from your neighborhoods, relatives. Invite people to church. Encourage them to come. Invite them to your Bible study, to your small group, to your women's Bible study, uh, to your connection class. Invite people to things that you're doing where they can hear about Christ and learn and grow and trust Christ for their salvation. Hey, start a Bible study at your workplace. Uh, start a Bible study in your neighborhood. Um, get one-on-one get -on -one with somebody and say, hey, God has been teaching me this. Would you like to learn it as well? Um, also, just serving in the church. Uh, coming to church is a good first step. We're, it's awesome that you're here. Uh, but look for ways to use what God has given you to serve. And that's part of discipleship, of helping others to grow. Man, if every one of us was, was playing our role in this church, this, this church would be even better than it is. And more and more people would want to come and be a part of it and grow and come to faith in Christ. Also giving people Bibles, just simply handing them Bibles. My father-in-law would do that all the time and people would get saved and people would grow in their faith, giving them Bibles, giving them other books that explain the Bible in simple terms. These are great ways to make disciples and there's a plethora of other ways as well. And I love Ephesians 4, 6, which talks about how Christ is building his church through us. Take a look at that with me. Ephesians 4, 16, it says, from whom, that's speaking of Jesus, from Jesus, the whole body, that's us, the church, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, listen to this, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, I'm a part of the church, each one of you are, are a part of the church, when each one of us are playing a role to serve one another and to build each other up in the Lord and to bring others in, um, it's, it goes on and he says, so that it builds itself up in love. Now, wait a minute. I thought Pastor Eric said a few weeks ago that it's Christ who builds his church, right? From Matthew 16, absolutely. Christ builds his church. One of the key ways he does that is through us, through giving us gifts and abilities and skills so that we can use those to lead other people to Christ and to help them grow in their faith. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. He uses us. It's amazing. Now, so, so does this mean that all of us need to quit our jobs and get into full-time vocational ministry? Does this mean that all of us need to become missionaries or pastors or uh, Christian counselors or Christian school teachers or, or, or doing a, a parachurch ministry here in town? Is that what that means? For some of you, it means yes, right? For some of you, it means yes. Okay, for example, without naming any names because I'm on video, we know of a couple here at the church. The, the, the wife was raised at the church, wonderful young woman of God. And then the husband came to the church when he was a young man. They met each other, had good jobs. They quit their good jobs to go to Central Asia to bring the gospel to a place that doesn't have it, to learn their language, to write the scriptures in their language, and then to start new churches. Praise God for that. That gives me so much joy when I think about that. So praise God for people like that. And we need more and more people like that. Um, not only overseas, but even here in our community and throughout our, our nation. We need people to be in full-time vocational ministry. But most of us, most of you, I'm in full-time vocational ministry. Most of you, you've got, how can God use you? Well, where he's put you. He's put you where you're at for a reason to reach the people that are around you, right? Starting in your own home. God wants to use you to reach the people in your own family and to point them to Christ. And then your neighborhood, uh, people in your workplace who you're around really more than pretty much anybody else you're around to reach people uh, in your workplace and throughout the community. God has you here for a reason. And at the same time, he wants to use us to, by any means, help those who are in vocational ministry, whether going overseas or here locally or somewhere else in the state, for example, like uh, Josh and Drew White, as he spoke about last week, I think it was. Um, just wonderful. They're going to go to a community that doesn't have a church and doesn't have a pastor. And they've been, they've been asking for a pastor to come there. And so they're going to go and use their gifts and abilities, but they need us to back them up with prayer support and with financial support. And it's been so encouraging to see so many uh, already begin to give them financial support. So then what are our spiritual gifts and our natural abilities and our in our learned skills. Let's take a moment to look at that for a minute. Let's, let's talk about spiritual gifts first. What are spiritual gifts? You'll see up on the screen just a brief definition of a spiritual gift that is listed in the, the Bible at many times. Spiritual gifts are abilities God gives us at the time of our new birth. That is the time when we become a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Christ. The time of our new birth to help us reach the lost and to grow his church. There's special abilities that he gives us when we become a believer and a follower of Christ. Now, there are a number of lists in the New Testament. Let me just show you one of those lists, part of one of those lists from Romans chapter 12, verses seven through nine. And this is gonna give us an example of some of the spiritual gifts that he gives us. Each believer, by the way, gets at least one of these spiritual gifts. 
So service is one, that is helping people out with practical needs. Uh, teaching, that is sharing the good news and, and teaching the word of God, whether it's to one person or to many. Um, exhortation, that is encouraging someone when they're struggling, or sometimes it means rebuking somebody when they're straying. A generous giving, that's clear what that is. Leadership, as leading ministries, leading churches, leading mission trips. Uh, acts of mercy, that is having compassion on people. Now, you look at that list and you go, well, wait a minute. I thought as Christians, all of us were supposed to be doing pretty much all of those things. That's true. All of us are to do that. But a spiritual gift is where God gives a, a special uh, equi equipping to an individual with one of these or more of these. Like, so for example, all of us are called to serve each other, but some people are going to be particularly good at it because God has given them the spiritual gift to do that. We could go through each of those and talk about that. Well, how do we discover our gifts, right? How do we discover our gifts? We don't need to take some sort of spiritual gift survey. What we need to do is get involved. Get involved in the church. Get involved in another ministry in town. Begin to see what are you good at? What are you not good at? There's plenty of things I'm not good at. There are a few that I'm good at. I want to emphasize those things, right? Um, and maybe ask people who are in that ministry with you, what do you think I'm good at? Ask people you trust. Begin to pray. Um, and I love, too, talking about the, the couple that I mentioned earlier who ended up going to Central Asia um, when he was on a mission trip, one of our short-term mission trips to India, Ryan DeCruz said to him, man, I think you need to be a full-time missionary. You're really good at this. And he thought, huh, really? Okay, let me think about that. He began to pray and look into it, and now he's in Central Asia, bringing the gospel to people who would have never heard unless God sent someone there. Praise God. Well, what about our natural ability? So we've talked about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about natural ability. That's, that's pretty obvious. A difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities are Spiritual gifts we receive at our new birth, natural abilities we get at our birth. Let's just face it, some people are born with higher IQs than others, right? Praise God for that. Some people are born with an aptitude for music uh, or uh, an athletic skill or an ability to learn languages or they're better at relationships and communication. God has created us all differently, not so that we can be jealous of each other, but so that we can all complement each other and work together and each person can use their spiritual gift and their ability together to bless others and to make disciples of Christ, right? So for example, you know, if you have a high IQ, become a Christian apologist, become a lawyer to defend the uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Um, if you're good with languages, become a missionary. And we could go on and look at each of these things. Look for ways to maximize what God has given you for making disciples and leading people to Christ and growing his church. Now, the last point I want to look at, I think, I think these talents here could also refer to skills that we have. And, and part of us, when we think about skills, we think, well, wait a minute, I worked hard to learn that skill, you know, on the job, or um, I, I went to school to learn these skills. How are you saying that those really are God's as well? well because ultimately, who gives you the body and the mind to use and to figure these things out and to remember how to do these things? Well, ultimately, it's, it's God. Who gives you your heartbeat and your brain to function and the breath you breathe? Ultimately, it's all from God. Who gives you the opportunity to have the job you have and to get the training that you have? Ultimately, these are all gifts from God, right? So ultimately, even our skills that we have learned are God's. And he's saying, I've allowed you to, to learn these things so that you can use them not just to help feed your family, which is extremely important, but also you can use those things to point other people to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. So then, 
Back to my main question that I think is raised in Matthew chapter 25 is this. How can we make the most of these natural abilities, spiritual gifts, and learned skills that God has given us, that God has allowed us to use? How can we make the most? Thirdly, if you're following in the notes, focus on faithfulness and fruitfulness. Focus on faithfulness and fruitfulness in the task that God has given us. Now, I'm gonna show you a bumper sticker up on the screen. Maybe you've seen this. Jesus is coming, look busy, right? Okay. Now, I know it's, it's a mockery, but you know, let's put it back in their faces because anything that's pointing people to Jesus coming back, I think can be useful, right? But if I were to make a bumper sticker, it would say, Jesus is coming back, be faithful and fruitful, right? Be faithful and fruitful. And we see that uh, multiple times here in this scripture, four different times, Jesus, when he's responding to the first two faithful servants, he says that they were faithful, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Four different times he speaks of faithfulness. Faithfulness is important to God and it ought to be important to us. What does faithfulness mean? It means knowing what we are to do and then faithfully doing it, right? Putting it into practice. We know what Christ has called us to do. We've been talking about that. Now be faithful uh, to do what Christ has called us to do. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be successful. And I'm telling you, I, um, I've been a Christian for, for over 30 years now, and more often than not, people are not interested in Christ or not interested in growing in their faith. Um, and I can get discouraged. We can get discouraged. But God is looking for our faithfulness not to give up, but to continue to try, even if people that we've tried with have not been receptive, right? But to be faithful. To be faithful means to be intentional, to be proactive, to go out our way, to look for people, to love and to serve and to point to Christ. It's, it's the attitude that's saying, today, Lord, here I am, use me. I'm going to work today, Lord. Use me at work. Help me not only to be a good employee, but to be a good servant of Christ at work today. So that's faithfulness. What, is, what does fruitfulness mean? We see fruitfulness in this scripture, uh, again, where both the first two servants uh, produced more with what they were given. The one who had the five talents produced five talents more. The one who received the two talents uh, produced two talents more. They were fruitful. Their faithfulness resulted in fruitfulness. And one thing I love about this is the way Christ responds to the second servant, even though he only made two more talents compared to the first servant who made five more talents, listen to what he says. Um, look at verse 22. Verse 22, Jesus said, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, even though the second servant wasn't as fruitful as the first, the master commended him just as much because he was faithful, which ultimately resulted in fruitfulness with what God had given him. So faithfulness and fruitfulness don't always simply mean leading a person to Christ or discipling somebody or getting somebody to come to church, although those are important. Isn't it also what God is doing in our lives in that process? The fruitfulness? So what we call in the Bible the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, where God is growing and maturing us and, and molding our character. 
You know, and often it happens when we feel like we failed with somebody else. We're trying to be a good example of Christ and then we cuss. Or we're, we're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they call us, you know, a bigot. Um, we feel like a failure, but it's in those times that God can still produce fruit in us where we go, okay, I, I'm, I'm humbled here. I need to depend on Christ more. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So even when we don't see success, God is at work. And I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. This is very encouraging because we don't always see the fruit as we try and, and put effort into making disciples and to growing his church. Look at what Jesus, uh, what, what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I planted, that means Paul taught the word of God. Apollos watered, that means after Paul, Apollos taught the word of God. But God gave the growth. If we are faithful, God will be at work to produce fruit. Not always right away. You know, we see this with our kids too, right? <laughs> we are from the day they're born. We're, we're investing into those kids, right? And we're praying for those kids and we're sharing the gospel with those kids and we're teaching those kids. And we don't often see fruit, good fruit, right? Sometimes it takes years and years. Sometimes it takes 20 years. Sometimes it takes 30 years. Sometimes it takes longer than that. But man, it's encouraging when you start to see, oh, there's some fruit there. There's some fruit there. There's some fruit there. And some of you may be hearing this going, man, I just feel like such a failure because I'm, I'm taking care of my spouse who's chronically ill or my child or my parent who's, who's dying and I, all my time and effort is focused on that. Man, God, am I just wasting my time? No, no. That is God's work, you guys. It's so key that you're there. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. Continue the good work and look for opportunities to reach others in the process of it as you're setting an example to people. And, and this gets back to, I think, when we look at the first two servants is comparison. You know, when we begin to compare ourselves to others, oh, that person's more gifted than me or that person has more uh, abilities than me or whatever, comparison kills, doesn't it? It kills our joy. It kills our gratitude. It kills our motivation. And Christ is saying, no, look at how I responded to the second servant. He didn't even make half as much as the first servant did, but he still got the same praise. Man, if, if you're using what you have, what God has given you for his purposes in this world, God is pleased with that. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to look forward to that, hearing that? When you cross the finish line, well done, good and faithful servant. And basically, God cares less about how much you have and more about how much you're using what you do have for his purposes. I appreciate this quote from Adam Holes uh, in a book called Beating Busyness. He says, most of the work of God's kingdom is done by believers with average gifts and a few earthly resources. Can anyone identify with that? I certainly can. Now, in this final point, when we're looking at how to make the most of our abilities, I don't have time to get into as much detail as I was hoping. So let me just summarize. Finally, don't waste the gifts, abilities, and skills that God has entrusted to you. Like the final servant did, the one who buried it. And God said, I am not pleased with this. And in fact, you're, you're, you're going to hell. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, whenever I read this scripture, and I read it, if I read it and I'm discouraged because I've been trying, I've been wanting to reach people for Christ. I've been wanting to help people to grow and I am not seeing as much fruit as I'd like to see. I get discouraged, I think, maybe I need to find a, 
a different job. <laughs> I read the scripture and I go, well, I don't want to be like that final servant. I think the gift that God has given me, although I'm no Billy Graham, I think the gift he's given me is teaching. And I think I need to use it. Um, this last servant didn't use what God had given him. And it was very displeasing to the Lord. He, the fact that he buried it and didn't even put it in a bank showed he did absolutely nothing in obedience to his master. And I hope that cannot be said of any of us. Um, does this mean that this man lost his salvation? No. I think he was a professing believer, but not a true believer. There's a difference. A professing believer thinks that they're a Christian. They go to church, but in their heart of hearts, they have not truly surrendered to Christ and said, I need Christ. I am a sinner. He's my Savior. I'm going to repent and turn and follow him. They have not truly done that. They're just going through the motions. I think this was one of them, like, like Judas was. Does this mean that we have to work for our salvation? Because these guys who were able to, with their talents, produce more talents, they're the ones who end up in heaven. No, it doesn't mean that we can work for our salvation. It's by grace. It's God's gift that we are forgiven, that we are saved, that we have eternal life. But what it does mean is that if you are a true believer in Christ, it's going to be seen in your actions. It's going to be seen in your obedience to your Lord and Savior. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen to that. So what, what stopped this final servant? He said he was afraid. And, and the master said, well, actually, also, he was lazy. And I'll tell you what, fear, fear is a big thing for us, isn't it? We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid we're not going to know what to say. Um, but let's not let fear stop us from obeying our Lord who is with us every time we're willing to open up our mouths and speak about Christ. So, in conclusion, God wants us to make the most of the spiritual gifts, the natural abilities, and the skills that he has given us. And he is with us to make that happen. And he will produce fruit in one way or another in the efforts that we make for his glory to make disciples and to grow his church. So what he's asking us to do is just open our arms and our hands and say, here I am, Lord, use me today. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, and let your kingdom advance in this community. Let more and more people hear about the good news of Jesus. Let them come to Christ. Let the people of our church and all your churches in the community grow, grow, grow in our relationship with you and help others to grow. Let us be true disciples. And Lord, I just pray for Josh and Drew White as they go out. We don't know quite yet where they're going, but to a small community that needs a church and needs the gospel and the word of God. Uh, we pray that you would provide for them their finances and that that you would bring them to the place you want them and that your church would be planted and, and grow and many would come to faith in Christ. Many would grow in their walk with you and they'd send missionaries and even more to, to start other churches throughout the community, Lord. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord.